0: I would like to call your attention now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. <clears throat> Luke chapter 17. And we'll read verses 11 through 19. Luke seventeen eleven, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went They were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was cleansed or was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. May God give his blessing to the reading of his word today. This is a week that we look forward to every year. In our country, it is Thanksgiving Day on Thursday, and I think of it as Thanksgiving week, really, because uh, it normally involves for uh, my family a uh, trip that takes all week long to Kentucky to see my mother and other family that will be gathered there. And so our thoughts... Go to the subject of thanksgiving, and it is a subject that must be close to the heart of every Christian, because we are indebted to God for everything. We owe him a debt of gratitude. There is much in Holy Scripture about the subject of giving thanks to God. And our text here is one of the plainest passages that speaks of the beauty of thankfulness and the ugliness of unthankfulness. More than ugliness, it's evil to be unthankful. So let us look at this fascinating, dramatic event in the life of the Lord Jesus and see what we should learn from it. We see in the opening words here in verse 11, the Lord Jesus making a journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem and it is his last trip to Jerusalem for when he arrives in a few short days, he will be crucified He is making his way to his death. He was traveling from north to south, from Galilee down to Samaria and on down into Judea. And it says that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And that seems to indicate that he was walking sort of on the the border between Galilee and Samaria. He would probably cross over Jordan and come down on the far side of Jordan and then cross back over into Judea, avoiding uh, the heart of Samaria, most likely. He comes to an unnamed town or village, according to verse 12. And this is where the action begins. We will note, first of all, ten petitions for help. It says, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Ten men who were diseased in some way, whether it was leprosy as we know it today or maybe some other Horrible uh, disease I- is irrelevant. These men were sick. They were considered contagious. They were unclean, not just ceremonially, but literally and physically. They were unfit to mix with society. They had to be banished out of normal society to the outskirts of town. This was simply a matter of public safety, according to the Old Testament law in Leviticus chapter 13, and that's why it says they stood afar off. They were not allowed to come near anyone except a fellow leper. So you have these ten men in this little uh, congregation of their own. Historians tell us that the custom was, if the wind was blowing, they had to keep a distance of about 50 yards from anyone who was not sick, lest the wind carry Uh, something of the disease. It is interesting, just in passing, that the healthy ones were not locked down. (laughs) It was the sick ones who were sequestered. And uh, that has significance to uh, the times in which we live, of course. Well, Of these ten men, evidently, nine were Jewish men, probably from Galilee. One of them was a Samaritan. And, of course, the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with each other. They despised each other. But in this case, the disease made friends of natural enemies. Their wretched condition made them forget their normal ethnic hostilities. There's surely an application here, and Mr. Spurgeon makes it in one of his sermons on this text. He says the common need of Christ should bring all mankind together. Sadly, we do not see that, do we? But that ought to be the case. The great spiritual need that all people have in common ought to supersede all of the other distinctions and differences that exist. But we see people divided over everything imaginable. Conflict, war... Cruelty, murder, on and on. All oblivious to the fact that they share a common need of mercy from Jesus Christ. Well, from this safe distance, these ten lepers cry out. In unison with a loud voice, according to verse 13, they lifted up their voices. Since they were far off, they had to make volume. They wanted to be heard. They wanted Jesus to take notice of their situation. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Notice that they acknowledge His authority. They call him master. They understood and acknowledged, at least in some measure, his lordship, his extraordinary power. Master. And then the plea is, have mercy on us. Have pity upon us. Show us favor. Have compassion upon us in our Affliction. In other words, you are master over all things. You are able to heal us. Please give us healing from our leprosy. They are desperate men. They have no other hope than that Jesus of Nazareth will have mercy upon them. It is only when we are desperate and find no hope in any other place or any other source that we will in desperation cry out to Christ for help. May God bring each one here this day to that point, the sooner the better. A point of desperation. It's Christ or nothing. He is our only hope. These men, all ten of them obviously, were convinced that Christ could heal them. And it's possible that they had heard about such things or maybe even witnessed them in the previous years of Christ's public ministry. However, as we shall see, they seem to have known him at least nine of the 10 only as a miracle worker, nothing more. And we need to see more in Christ than just one who works miracles. Well, this then is the opening of the scene. These Jesus with his disciples and probably a a crowd of some number following him wherever he goes. He's making his way. He's approaching this town in the outskirts. Here are these ten lepers crying out for mercy and help. And then the next thing that we see is ten healings bestowed. In verse 14, when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. Now, this is an unusual instruction. You might expect Jesus as uh, on other occasions to draw near to them and touch them or something like that. In this case, he just from afar maybe 50 yards away, says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. A simple instruction. Reminds us of the instruction of Elisha in the Old Testament to Naaman the leper. Go wash in Jordan seven times. Well, Jesus here says, go show yourselves to the priests. And in obedience to his instruction the healing that they desired occurred at the end of verse 14 it says it came to pass that as they went they were cleansed what if some of them had said well there's no reason to go to the priest we're we're still lepers it's obvious So once Jesus heals us of our leprosy, then we'll go and show ourselves to the priests and be pronounced clean. If any of them had reasoned in that way, they would have remained lepers till their dying day. The fact is, they must do what Jesus commanded. And in obedience to his instruction, the cure came. And I would make that, uh, this application in this way today. Whatever you understand that Jesus has given you to do, obey him. Walk in the light that you see. And he may be pleased to give you more light. Obey what you presently know. In fact, Jesus' command is loud and clear. It is repent and believe the gospel. But if you say, well, I'm going to wait until I feel better, until I have improved some, then I will obey the command of Christ and uh, believe on him. There's all kinds of things that people put in front of obedience to the revealed will of God. And let us put all that aside then and walk in what he has given us to do, which is, in fact, to turn from our sin and believe on Christ to be cured of the leprosy of sin. As I said a moment ago, it's interesting to see the variety of methods that Jesus used to heal different ones and even to heal the same disease in different ways. Certainly showing us that he himself was the healer, not any particular uh, means in and of itself. Go, he says, show yourselves unto the priests. Now, what did the priests have to do with it? Well, of course, under the Levitical law, the priests were involved in uh, inspecting the leper to determine if he was still diseased or if he had recovered, to determine then and pronounce if he was unclean or clean, and if by God's goodness he was found to be clean he, and was pronounced clean, then there was an official ritual and that, that the priest was involved in uh, with the leper. And the official pronouncement was made. And uh, some historians say that over the course of time in the Jewish uh, traditions, the priest would give a written certificate of cleansing to the man who had uh, recovered from leprosy as proof of his cleansing. So when Jesus says to them, go show yourselves to the priests, well, it's obvious he's telling them, you will be healed. It's time to go and show your, your cleanness to the priest. It's interesting that Christ acknowledges here that the Old Testament law was still in effect at this point, but not for much longer. And think of this. What a testimony to the priests this would be. Jesus had fewer enemies more fierce against him than the priests. What a testimony to them To see these ten men coming and saying, look at us, we're healed. And the priest says, how did it happen? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth came through. And think what a message, what a testimony to those priests that that would be. They would be confronted with undeniable proof of the deity of Jesus and before we leave this point it, we should mention this roman catholics take uh, luke 17:14 as a basis and uh, for auricular confession go show yourselves unto the priests go to confessional but let me give you some uh, cogent arguments from a, a writer who ought to be more known than he is, Melanchthon Jacobus, who says uh, there's absolutely no basis here for the Roman Catholic uh, confessional. Number one, because this was a Jewish ceremony, not a Christian ceremony. Secondly, Jesus tells these men To show their skin to the priests, not their inward thoughts. Thirdly, they were to show their cleanness to the priests, not their uncleanness. And they went not in order to cleanse themselves, but to show that they had already been cleansed by Christ. Well, as we said, in obedience to what Christ gave them to do, the mercy that they had sought for came. As they turned and went in towards the town, evidently there's some priests who who reside there or or have some official capacity there. As they went, probably just taking a few steps, immediately they feel improved, they feel health returned to their bodies, they know that they're restored, they can look and see, they look at each other, and they see perfectly whole and healthy men once again, you can imagine how happy they were, it says it came to pass as they went they were cleansed. And they continue to make their way into town to meet with the priests. But then we see that there's one grateful Samaritan. He's identified as a Samaritan there at the end of verse 16. One of them, verse 15 says, When he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Now, it seems unlikely that this man would just quietly leave the others and make his way toward Christ. Most likely, there would be some discussion among them, maybe some uh, debate among them. I can imagine this man saying to the others, Fellas, Before we go on into town and show ourselves to the priests, let's go to Jesus first and express to him our gratitude. Our first obligation is to him, our second obligation is to the priest. And of course, the others disagree and uh, give their various reasons and arguments against such a thing. And so they part ways. Nine of them continue on into town with their backs toward Jesus. And this one man who dares to be different turns back toward Christ. Verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, he does an about face and from a distance again, with a loud voice, glorified God, gave glory to God, gave praise to God for the healing that he had just experienced. He speaks with the same volume and the same urgency with which he had pleaded for help. And that's a good example of to us isn't it we should be as as loud in our thanksgiving to god as we are in our pleas for help to god and notice he recognized jesus as god i don't think that's reading anything here that's not here he is glorifying god even as he worships Jesus, and according to verse 16, his, his distance between him and Jesus, he quickly covers and comes to Jesus, perhaps all the while as he makes his way and takes those quick steps covering those 50 yards, let's say, coming to Jesus, he's glorifying God, he's praising God, maybe he's singing a psalm or something, and he comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus and gives him thanks. Notice that glorifying God and giving Jesus thanks were were one and the same in the mind of this man. He recognizes Jesus as more than just an extraordinary man, a miracle worker. He recognizes him as God in the flesh. He runs to the very spot where Jesus is, bows down at his feet and gives him thanks for what he had done. This man is obviously filled with gratitude. He senses an obligation of indebtedness to Jesus for his mercy, for hearing his cry for help. (coughs) (coughs) He's filled with wonder and worship, and he is happy to bow down low at the feet of this Jew who is God in the flesh. This man understood that spiritual things have priority over everything else. Spiritual matters have priority over ceremonial matters. May, if we learn nothing else from this text today, let us learn first things first. Everything else could wait until glorifying God and giving thanks to Christ was done. Christ himself, beloved, deserves our praise and our thanks before anything else. If I could quote Mr. Spurgeon once again, commenting here or, or preaching here from on this portion, he says, I love the doctrines of grace. I love the church of God. I love the Sabbath. I love the ordinances, but I love Jesus Most, And this is an example of exactly that. Yes, this man, he'll go to the priest, but first things first. The first first priority is to worship Jesus and give him thanks. So we move on here in this passage. We've seen 10 petitions for help, 10 healings bestowed. One grateful Samaritan. Now we see nine ungrateful, healthy Jewish men. Verse 17 And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? I think this is one of the most heart wrenching questions of Holy Scripture certainly from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ where are the nine I detect in this question a tone of personal injury insult disappointment and grief I don't think we will ever understand perfectly how the human nature of Christ and the divine nature of Christ uh, are in union and how we see one nature more clearly at some points than another. But it seems to me that the Lord Jesus speaks here in terms of having an expectation of, That ten men should come and say thank you. Where are the others? Did I not heal ten? Where are the nine? Surely there's a glimpse here into the heart of Christ as a man. His heart was continually thankful. And that's why he expected others to be thankful. We see him again and again giving thanks for food and giving thanks to the Father that he's revealed what he has revealed, to whom he has revealed it, and so on. His heart was continually thankful to the Father. And as a man, he felt the pain of being slighted, unappreciated, Ignored. Where are the nine? What was wrong with these men? What was wrong with these nine? Don't they have even common decency to say thank you to Christ? Why did they not glorify God with a loud voice like the Samaritan man? And fall at Jesus' feet and give him thanks. I would suggest that they were just thinking of themselves. They're so happy to be in a better condition that they pay no attention to the source of their improvement. They probably pick up the pace as they're heading into town to see the priest and they think, you know, I've been out here in the outskirts of town in isolation for maybe weeks or months. I'm behind on work and I've got to, haven't seen my family and I've got to tend to my farm and I've got a business to take care of and I've got recreation to catch up on and I've got all these things that I need to catch up on. I've got to hurry up and get to the priest and get this ritual over with so that I can make up for lost time. They're thinking only of themselves. And they have a very short memory as to how they came to be whole. In other words, I suppose that these men were too busy to be thankful. And let that sink in to our hearts today. We're busy. We live at a pace of life like no generation before us ever has, as far as we know. We're pulled in many directions. We have our schedules busy, busy, busy. Let us never be too busy to give thanks to God. And it is a blessing to have at least one day on a calendar year set aside for that specifically. I tell you, it's my favorite holiday. In some ways, it's my only holiday. These men were thinking of themselves, they're proud. You know, you can imagine a newspaper reporter catches up with some of them and says, uh, tell us about your heal." Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so proud to be healed. Oh, it's just, I'm so proud to be back where I belong. That's the way people would say it today. And proud hearts are ungrateful hearts. It's humble hearts That are grateful hearts. Nine ungrateful. Healthy Jewish men. Often it's the least likely. Who end up the most thankful. This stranger. This alien. Verse 18. There are not found that returned. To give glory to God. Save this stranger. Well, may God help us to be the stranger who gives thanks. To lead the way in giving thanks to God. Well, last of all, we see here in verse 19, what I'll simply call one soul saved. He said unto him, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. No sooner does this healed Samaritan man come and worship Jesus at his feet and give glory to God. But Jesus says, get up and go to the priest. Now show yourself to the priest. Go thy way. When Christ gives us something to do. He assumes it will not take the place of worshiping him and giving thanks. But notice especially what Jesus says here at the last. Thy faith hath made thee whole. This is a significant statement. This is a proclamation of salvation. Jesus says this about only this one. He doesn't say it about the nine. Evidently, personal faith in Christ distinguished this man from the others. They did not have the faith that he had. They did not see Jesus as the Messiah. As the, the healer, not just of the body, but of the soul. To the nine, Jesus might say, My compassion has made you whole. My mercy has made you whole. But only to this man does he say, Thy faith hath made thee whole. And, of course, Jesus was the author of this man's faith. He gave it to him as his gift to begin with. And so he knows faith wherever it is. This man's healing had a deeper dimension than that of the others. He saw something in Jesus that the others did not see. They saw him just as a miracle worker. This man saw him as the Messiah. Now oftentimes we use healing from leprosy as a picture of deliverance from sin. But the difficulty in following that in this passage is that that would lead us to think that all 10 of these men were forgiven of their sins and were true believers in Christ when Verse 19 makes it pretty clear, I think, that that was not the case. There was only one man that had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To say that nine out of ten believers are ungrateful is, is a position very difficult to, to, to fathom and to defend. And so I think the way that we should apply this is more concerning gifts of common grace and temporal favors and mercies that believers and unbelievers alike receive. God makes the sun to shine on both the just and the unjust. He makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But it's only the just... Who recognize the source of every good and perfect gift. Whether it's sunshine and rain or forgiveness of sins. And every believer must be thankful. I cannot comprehend an ungrateful Christian. It's a contradiction in terms. And every believer can and must be thankful, deeply thankful to God for everything. You don't have to have some special giftedness to be thankful. You simply have to have a heart for God to be thankful. There's no excuse for ingratitude. Well, we've made several applications. Let me make a few more here and just mark some things that we should learn here very quickly. On the whole, this event in the life of our Lord shows us that believers and unbelievers alike receive common mercies, but only believers recognize the source and are truly thankful to him. True faith is thankful True faith makes the heart thankful to the object of the faith. True faith returns thanks. Nevertheless, God does give many temporal mercies to those who are not thankful. And Jesus spoke about that earlier in the Gospel of Luke when he said, Love your enemies. And and the example and model of loving our enemies is our Heavenly Father. He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil, he says. One of the hallmarks of true faith, however, is gratitude. And we cannot close today without at least reading a few of these passages that underscore this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that Paul says that he's praying for the Colossians that they would be rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. He goes on in the next chapter to the Colossians and says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And then almost with the same stroke of the pen, he says, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. There's more in this little uh, letter to the Colossians about giving thanks than in any other uh, portion of scripture. He comes at it once again in the last chapter. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Don't just make petitions, but also give thanks. He says to the Thessalonians, in everything, give thanks. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that this is a sacrifice that we render to God. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Beloved, there's simply no excuse not to be thankful. You don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to have great uh, giftedness. Every Christian must be thankful. We learn from this passage that we're more likely to ask for blessings than to give thanks for them. Oh, let us be as... Faithful and diligent in giving thanks as we are in asking for the mercies in the first place. We learn, furthermore, that great mercies call for great gratitude. The more mercy that God gives us, the more we ought to be thankful to him in return. And when we think of the greatest mercy of all, the forgiveness of our sins, the saving of our souls, yes, the adoption into his family, there shouldn't be a moment in which we're not thankful to Him. We are thankful in proportion to our recognition of our indebtedness to Him. When we remember that He's under no obligation to us, and all He's given us has come to us freely, we are deeply under obligation to Him. We learn from this passage what a great insult to God, ingratitude is. Unthankfulness is failing to glorify God in terms of verse 18. Unthankfulness is characteristic of the ungodly, not of the godly. It is the ungodly <clears throat> of whom we read in Romans 1, when they knew God, they Glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Thanksgiving is simply acknowledging God as God. Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, perilous times will come. and Evil men will be on earth. And he describes them in several terms. And one of those terms is unthankful. This passage surely shows us that ingratitude is more common than gratitude. Maybe it's only one in ten who ought to be thankful who really is. More receive benefits than give thanks for them. Someone said common grace rarely meets with common thanks. We learn again that more people observe outward rituals than truly worship and thank God. These men were going to go through with the ceremonies with an unthankful heart. Think of that. An empty ritualism is consistent with pride and presumption and ingratitude. Let us not just go through motions. But let's have hearts that are truly stirred to give thanks to God. We learn, again, that we should be prompt in giving thanks to God. Give him thanks upon the the reception of every mercy. There's no time that is a bad time to give thanks to God. The psalmist says, at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee. And surely we learn from this passage, last of all, that Christ delights in a thankful people. Who doesn't like to be thanked for whatever favors they've shown? And when you go out of your way to help someone or do something nice for them and they just turn and walk away, well, you did what you did out of a good heart, and you did it for Jesus' sake. But there's, there's disappointment and pain at ingratitude. And so it is with our Savior. But when his people give him thanks, he is delighted. And let us delight in giving him thanks. Thanks. So let us not fail in this privilege and duty. Let us not wound the heart of our blessed Savior. May he never have occasion to say, where are the nine? Where are the people of covenant Baptist? Where is Daniel? Put your name in there too. but rather let us be thankful. Thankful to God this day and every day, this week and every week. And I'll just close with a word to those who are lost. Consider how indebted to God you already are. You have much to be thankful for. He has kept your heart beating to this moment. He has kept you alive and not already cast you into hell. He has allowed you to hear His Word proclaimed once again and to hear the message of salvation in Christ once again. He has invited you to come to Him once again. My dear friend, come and receive freely from his hand the greatest blessing of blessings, the bounty of his grace in redemption and become more and more indebted to him. Become, as John Newton says, the happy debtor who is indebted to him more and more throughout eternity.